Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat real quick, and let's, uh, let's look at the, the story that we're looking at this evening. I want to take you... Uh, um, actually, I'm going to take you through four of the Gospels. We're going to, we're going to weave that in and, out, uh, in and out. This is what they call Good Friday. And the truth of the matter is that there was really, I mean, if it was Friday, there's nothing good about Friday for the Lord. There's something good about Friday for us. But, but this is what I want, to, I want to do. You know, the, the first time you ever sat down and open up the Scripture and you begin to say, okay, let's look at the resurrection. Let's look at the, week of, the last week of Jesus' life. John, we've been studying the book of John. John takes us all the way up to chapter 12, three and a half years in 12 chapters. And the next nine chapters are one week, one week and a half of Jesus' life. And it just weaves it in and out and in and out. But here's the deal. You stop and you say, how? How long was Jesus dead? We say three days he was in the grave, right? Well, you can't get three days from Friday to Sunday morning. You can't do it. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus would have been uh, uh, arrested and crucified, um, and then that would have taken place on Wednesday, and he would have been dead Thursday, and then he would have been dead Friday, and then he would have been dead Saturday, and then he would have rose on the first day of the week. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a clue how the math got done that made it, hey, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming, you know, and we call it Good Friday. I don't know how that happened, and I'm not saying I'm the smartest one. I'm happy to have somebody come to me and say, Pastor Joe, this is how it works and this is it's new days it's like new math this is how it works I, I will gladly listen to you I listen I'm not the smartest person in this room and I know that I just have something to share with you the Lord asked me to share and that's what I want to look at and so as we talk about the idea of what Jesus went through and MJ read the passage from the book of Isaiah and this is what it was there's two things that you want to take from that passage um, as you read that and the first one is that, you know, everybody paints Jesus as this really nice, good-looking guy. Some people think he's English, some people... But you, you see him, and he's pretty, and he's white robe, and a blue sash, and, you know, I, I'm not sure where that came from. But at the end of the day, Isaiah the prophet said very clearly, he was not a good-looking man at all. He was not handsome. He was not handsome. Jesus was not handsome. He was not comely that we should desire him. There was nothing about him that people were like, Tom Brady's a good-looking man, okay? Some of you are like, what? Come on, get over yourself a little bit, okay? Come on, you, you look at that. Uh, but, but really, there's nothing about Jesus that you would be like, we need to go hang out with that guy right there. That's the first thing. The second thing Isaiah shared with us that we need to latch on to, and, and, and uh, Mel Gibson did a pretty good job of that. Yeah, we could have showed a bunch of pictures and really got into the you know, 39 lashes. There's 13 strands. He got hit three times, and we could have done all that with the lead embedded in it, and the glass and the pottery and the, and the leather, and that's what you know, the doctors say. This it pulls his flesh off, and this is what he had been going. Here's the deal. 700 years before that took place, Isaiah said, this man is going to be beaten beyond the image of a human being. So when you stop and think about what it means to picture Jesus dragging a cross for a little while through Jerusalem, it's a blob of flesh. Bones still intact until he gets to the place where he can't carry it anymore and they make somebody else carry it the rest of the way according to the scripture. And then they nail him to that cross. That's the picture 
of what Jesus saw as Good Friday. But there's something that I want to look at. It's just where my heart is this year, and so I want to share this with you. And I'm going to be sharing Peter tonight. I'm going to be sharing Peter on Easter Sunday morning. But I want to look at that because have you ever been someplace where it's dark? I mean, I mean, I mean like dark. Have you ever been someplace where it's dark? When I was a young man, um, I got to go to the Zanesville Cavern in um, Ohio. If you've never been to the Zanesville, Zanesville Caverns, in okay, they take you down into the center of the earth, and you know, and you know, some twelve-year-old kid is running the tour. There's just me and my friend um, Kevin on this thing because we just wanted to go do something, and we go down in there, and we get all the way down to the bottom, and we can see you know all the stuff in the cave. And this kid reaches over and he says, "Hey, check this out!" And he flips the switch, and it got black. So when somebody says dark, that's what dark is to me. I learned a long time ago that if you close your eyes just before you turn the light switch off when you're leaving the bathroom, you won't hit the wall going into your bedroom, okay? Because your eyes adjust that fast. If you leave the, the light on, your eyes open and turn the light off, it takes that second for your eyes to adjust and bam, you'll hit something, okay? That's a blinded by the light, okay? It's a song and everything else, but it's, that's what that is. But here's the deal where... There's so much darkness that you, you don't, I mean, you can close your eyes when you flip the switch off and it's still dark. There is not any light down in that place. You know, it would only take a candle to light that whole cavern up. It really would when it's that dark, but it wasn't even there. And I was thinking about that when I was thinking about what was, for, Friday is referred to the dark night of the soul. When we look at ourselves and we look at what Jesus did for us and we, and we ask ourselves, why did Jesus have to do that for me? And we, we examine what all he endured on behalf of God. But here's the deal. It can be that dark inside of your person sometimes when you don't know what God is doing, when you don't understand what's going on. And the disciples were in that spot. Jesus tried to prepare his disciples for this very night. He kept saying it over and over and over again. In the book of John, it says that Jesus sat down at the evening meal with them. That's not Passover. In John 13, where it says he sat down at the evening meal, that is not Passover. Because you'll find in the other Gospels that after they get to the place where they hang him on the cross, they say, we got to take his body down from the cross so we can eat the Passover. So now you begin to say, whoa, so there's Sabbaths, special Sabbaths that come up because it's like Easter for us, it's a moving calendar day. And so these things happen in Jewish life as well, and you, and you begin to wrestle with this. But I want to look at this. Jesus, is, is, he's had the supper with his disciples, and he's doing some teaching. Um, and in the book of Matthew, it says, chapter 26, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you're all going to fall away on account of me because it is written in the Scriptures. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter jumps up, and if, if there's anybody that I relate to in the Scripture, who's, in, in my opinion, because I feel like I'm always getting it wrong, it's Peter because he's always getting it wrong. And here's Peter, and he jumps up, and he says, if everybody falls away on account of you, I will not. I will not. I never will. And Jesus answers him. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And, and check this out. We say that Peter said that, but it says, and all the, here we go, make it jump, other disciples said the same. So it's kind of like how people treat women. It's like, well, Eve ate the fruit, finished the sentence, 
and gave some to her husband who was there with her. He was standing right there, eating the fruit. And here we have Peter going, I won't fall away because of you. And all the other disciples, no, 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 we won't either. We won't either. And it's entirely possible that it's one of those things where Peter's making us look stupid. We better get in on this. You know, we won't either. It won't happen. And so this is what's going on. And so Jesus gets arrested. And sure enough, the sheep scattered. So much so, and we recognize that there's more than 12 disciples, so much so that in Mark 14 it says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him, and he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. This was the first evidence of streaking, streaking that we're aware of post-Adam and Eve. They grabbed a hold of this guy whom most theologians believe to be John Mark. Grabbed, who wrote the book of Mark? Grabbed the hold of this guy, and he pulled so hard, he left his robe there and just headed out into the night. He just ran out into there. And then in the book of John, we have this picture because all of the disciples ran off and left Jesus. And there's this picture in the, the uh, 18th chapter. Am I in the 18th chapter, Lord? Here I am. In the 18th chapter, beginning at the 15th verse, Simon Peter. Jesus says, you're going to deny me, and, and, and Simon says, no, I won't. I'll, listen, I'm the friend that you can count on, Simon says. I, Peter, Simon, I'm the friend that will never leave you. I'm the friend that's not walking out. I'm the friend that I don't care if they kill me on the cross next to you. I'm not going anywhere. And this is how it begins to unfold. <clears throat> Jesus gets arrested. He goes through illegal trials. They hauled him into the courtyard up at the, at the palace, and it says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Another disciple is John. John's the one writing the book. Because of this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. That's John. Okay? But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the girl that was on duty there. People that think women had nothing to do in biblical times need to read this. This woman was in charge of who came and who didn't come into the high priest's house, okay? This girl on duty there brought Peter in. Here it goes. You're not one of the disciples, are you? The girl asked Peter as she let him in. Peter replied, I am not. I am not. I am not. No, no. It was cold. Why does John do that? Peter says the first denial, and John says, and it was cold. Wow. Wow. The servants and the officials stood around a fire and they had made to keep warm. And Peter also was standing around the fire, warming himself with them. And in my head, I know it was a little fire in a fireplace, but I'm, th- I'm picturing a 55-gallon drum full of wood or oil and fire. And everybody's standing, all the hobos are standing around the, the can, just trying to stay warm in the cold. And then it goes down to verse 25. I'm going to pick it back up. And it says, as Simon Peter stood there warming himself, he was asked, you're, you're one of his disciples, are you not? And here it comes. He denied it, saying, I am not. And then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man that he had cut the ear off of, <laughs> kind of hard, hard to lose sight of that guy. Hey, dude, you cut my cousin's ear off his head. You were there. I didn't. Excuse goes right after him. Peter challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. 
And I don't want to stop there. I want to keep looking at this thing because I'm looking at Peter, and I'm looking at Peter who said, dude, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. Peter was the one up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, we should build tabernacles. And God's like, Peter, shut up. Listen to my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so we have all of these things going on. But Peter's the one that wanted to be near Jesus. Peter was the one that it wasn't about relationships with the world. It was about relationships with Jesus. With Peter, it was Jesus saying, Peter, come. When, when Peter said, Lord, if that's you, you tell me to come. And Jesus didn't even hesitate. He said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And all the other disciples apparently had some kind of a conference in the boat on whether or not you could actually walk on the water, how stupid it was to get out of the boat in this storm. But they didn't get out of the boat, and they didn't walk on the water, and they didn't get close to Jesus until Jesus came into the boat. This is that Peter. And this is what's going on. And we look at this scripture, and we understand this. The world was cold. And a fire is a poor substitute for a good conscience. Wow. There's Peter, heard the rooster crow while he's trying to warm himself in the fire of the world. His actions followed him right into the world's fire. You can't, you can't run from Jesus to the world. You can't run from your responsibility to the world. You can't warm yourself in the fires of the world to protect you from what Peter just did when he let Jesus down. You can deny your testimony to the world, but it gets dark if you don't stand up and stand out. Let your light shine before men that they may see See it and glorify your Father in heaven, Jesus told us. You and I. You know, there's that one where he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And then there's this one that says, hey, let people see what you're doing so that they can glorify God who's in heaven. And I think it comes down to the intent of the heart. In the midst of Jesus' arrest, subsequent illegal trials, his torture, the scripture will tell us that he saw Peter. So Peter denies him, and then Peter's by the fireplace, and he denies him again. And then somebody comes in who's a relative of the one he cut the ear off, and he denies him again. The rooster crows, and Luke says this. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about the third time. And as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And this is what Luke says in Luke um, 22, 61. He says, and the Lord turned, because they were in a courtyard, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, straight at him. Now, what would go through your heart if you were Peter and the rooster crowed and everything Jesus said slammed into your heart just as you turned and looked across the fire and Jesus is looking you right in the eye? Wow. This set heavy on me this week to put myself in Peter's position and say, wow, Lord. Imagine Peter's heart warming my hands in the fires of the world just to stay alive. They look at me, but they see right through my thin disguise. No, I said, get away from me. No, I said, that was two and three, and the rooster crowed. And once again, I find that I'm just like Peter walking on the water, Lord, and I'm sinking down. God's looking right at you, right at me, and suddenly I am painfully aware of the depth of my failure to God. 
You lied to somebody, your word meant nothing, you let them down. You treated somebody horribly, made them feel small and worthless. You cheated somebody, you took advantage of them. You can't stop drinking, can't stop looking at porn, and Jesus is standing right beside you all the while. You show up to church, sing songs to God, but you don't get involved, you don't serve, you don't um, work, um, work um, and involve yourself in a community. You go to work and the people there don't even know you go to church. You choose not to say something when Jesus says, hey, step up. We had a great testimony from a young man that said, you know, God said to do this and I didn't do it. And how God gave him that second chance with that exact same car. But, you know, there's times like that where it's like, man, I let you down. Jesus said, this is what you should say right now in this conversation you're having at this table. And you're like, oh, they'll think I'm stupid. Or maybe Jesus asks you to make the big sacrifice. Changing careers, changing um, relationships, changing money but we keep running like Jonah. and We find ourselves in the belly of the whale. I love that Jonah and Jonah 1.9, they asked him, who are you? They, the big storm was threatening to kill him. And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Is that not an oxymoron? He's running from God. He's not doing what God says. He refuses to do what God says. He wants God to kill all the Ninevites because he's a racist, and he knows that if he goes and says to the Ninevite king what God tells him to say, they're going to repent, and God's going to save them and forgive them. And God said, what is it to you, Jonah, if, if I save two or 300,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left hand? What is that to you, Jonah? But like Jonah, so many times we find ourselves in some of these situations and we're saying, I follow the Lord. And then I look at myself in the mirror, I do, and I say, do you? Is that what you're doing right now, following the Lord, Joe? And it's like, wow. And then I feel the weight of Peter when the rooster crowed and he turned and he looked right at Jesus and it's like, wow. Peter right there in that spot was painfully aware, I believe, of his failure. The rooster was ringing in his ear. Jesus was looking him straight in the eye. And the scripture says he runs out into the night and weeps bitterly. A grown man crying his eyes out because he lied, 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 and then got called out by God himself. All the while, Jesus' words had the opportunity to be ringing in his memory. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, Jesus said, I'll tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three, you'll deny three times that you know me. And that's where that interaction was. But we don't want to miss the passage right ahead of the whole screw up because we all screw up. We all, every one of us, screw up. And I love this part. Peter would take it so personal. I don't think Jesus was condemning him when he looked at him. I think he was hoping to remind him that, Peter, I told you, I prayed for you. You're coming back. I prayed for you. Satan has desired to sift you, and some of you have had that kind of a year. You have. <laughs> Peter couldn't understand why Jesus had to die. Peter tried hard to believe and follow. He did. He did. Peter rebuked Jesus for saying he had to die. He wasn't having any of that. He was going to make sure nobody killed him. Peter 
loved Jesus so much. Peter had big plans for Jesus' ministry on earth. Peter couldn't hold it together. Whacked a guy's ear off. Peter didn't want to die. Even though he told Jesus he would die. And now Jesus was looking across the courtyard in his passion right in Peter's eye. Your sin is so obvious to Peter, and he knew you were going to do it before you believed you could do it. And at this, mean, at this moment, Peter betrayed the giver of life in a cheap attempt to save his own life. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to. Being on the receiving end of betrayal makes for a dark night. And John wants us to believe. That's what this sermon series is all about. Are we going the right way? John wants us to believe that Jesus knows what it means to be abandoned to be betrayed. But here's the deal that he wants me to, to, to grab a hold of. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And if you're not aware of that, I love that somebody shared with me this past week. I was reading John 17 and I read it three times. And the third time I realized Jesus was praying for me personally. I pray for all of those who will come as a result of their testimony those who will come after. Blessed are those who have not seen all of the things that are written about Jesus, and yet they believe. Wow. Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And look at the, look at the concrete absolute in this. And when you have turned back, not if, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Pull the team together. Could I give you a word tonight if you feel the darkness that Peter felt? Stop counting on your experiences. The things that you've been through already. Stop counting on your talents, your gifts, your ability, your acclamations, your, uh, your whatever. Stop counting on that. Here, don't count on other people. Be in healthy, good relationships. But you're playing to the audience of God. Okay? And start counting on a God who sees you and says... I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. That when you're restored, you'll encourage and restore other people. Jesus isn't looking at you. And he's disappointed. He's upset. He's mad. He's disgusted. He's, he's not. Jesus is looking at you and saying, I've been praying for you and I've been waiting for you. I told you this would happen, but I know you're going to be restored. I believe he was looking across that courtroom going, I know you're coming back, Peter. And Peter hadn't run out into the dark yet. He said, I know, Peter. That's the God that we count on. We enjoy the world and the people around us, but we count on God and God only. That's where we need to be. On Friday night, metaphorically speaking, it was the dark night of the soul. And sometimes we find ourselves there, don't we? But here's the deal. Jesus knew it before you got there, and he already prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. Let's pray. 
Father, who is God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for this day. We thank you for this blessing. We thank you for this joy. We thank you for this promise. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the word. God, I thank you that so many times Peter bumped into you and you weren't disgusted with him or fed up with him or tired of him. That When he screwed it all up, you were like, come on back, Peter, come on back. When you come back, I'm going to put you in leadership and, and Peter led your church, God, just like you said he would. And we thank you for that. As we come before you, Father, we take and we consider even right now what it means for you and I to be in a relationship together. What each one of us can say it means that you were willing to let your body, your physical being, God, be absolutely destroyed beyond the image of a man because the wrath of God was poured out on you. God, we thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf, that fell on the ground, that made us children of the Most High God. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name.